and that applause was definitely for Gerald and not for me. So the reading this morning is taken from 1 John chapter 4 and can be found on page 1209 on the Bibles in front of you. And we're reading from verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We then know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father, we do thank you for your incredible love towards us in the Lord Jesus. And as we reflect on what it means to be loved and to love, we pray, give us your spirit so that we might be transformed from within and be vehicles of love as we leave this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we really believe that God is love? Now, that's the last topic we're going to look at in this What If series. I know it's been a very challenging and helpful series for many people from the comments I've had back. And this might seem a simple topic to talk on today. Love is primary to what we want in life. It's a very positive topic and I don't think anyone anywhere would speak against the need for love. And you just have a think about some of the music uh, that you hear and I did a bit of research and I found from... uh, The Billboard people who put together lists of top songs, they had from the last 50 years uh, the top 50 love songs. And this was the number one song. See if you can remember it. Now I'm going to start singing soon. Here he comes, Lionel Richie. Love. 
Father. No one else will do. And your eyes, your eyes, your eyes they tell me how much you care. Oh, you will always be my endless love. Two hearts they beat as one. That's where that line comes from. I played it before the service started at eight o'clock, and I had a lady up the back. She's dancing away. And if you want, we can put the whole song on at the end of the service. Now, who is against that? I mean, you know, you think I know it's a bit corny, it's a bit cheesy, but there's something about a love song that kind of just melts your heart. And you think, yeah, love, we love it. Um, but when you think about God and love, is it that simple? Uh, theologian and writer Don Carson put out a book called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. And it's a kind of intriguing title. What's so difficult about the love of God? Well, he had five different reasons that in thinking about God's love in today's world, it's actually difficult. And I'll put a quote up from the book. Um, Don says this, The love of God in our culture has been purged of anything the culture finds uncomfortable. The love of God has been sanitized, it's been democratized, and above all, sentimentalized. Now, I don't think in particular he's having a go at Lionel Richie or Diana Ross, but the culture has kind of stripped love down to this syrupy kind of feel-good feeling. And when we think today about the question of uh, do we believe God loves, and so should we. I don't think the issue is, do we believe in love? Of course we believe in love. The question is, do we understand what biblical love is? And so have in our hearts the love of God in a way that God wants us to love, which I want to say is very different to this world. You see, when you start to think about what the Bible says about love, I think it's kind of almost polar opposite of what our world puts forward. And in the book, he raises a number of challenges for us in thinking about love. I just want to mention two of them as we start out. Because you see, one of the most primary statements in the Bible, and it was in the reading that we had to us from Susan today, is the most simplest of phrases and the most basic affirmation about who God is. God is love. And today I want to explore what that means and then as to think practically, I'm going to get Max up here to share about what that means in terms of our community life together. But firstly, uh, challenges to understanding biblically the love of God. And the first is this, it's no doubt suffering and atrocity. Uh, You don't have to live long in this world to know about the reality of suffering. Parents die young. Friends die young. Cancer strikes with a random callousness with the people we know, including ourselves, injustice reigns in the world in a way that we sometimes wonder, is there really a God who's in control and loves this place? And you see, the philosopher's trilemma has been historically, how can you have a God who knows everything, who's in total control, and yet tell me, loves? Look at the world. How is it possible for God to be all three things. 
in control, knowing everything and loving, when you look at the world we live in, it doesn't seem possible. It's a very real question. You see, where is the God of love when my loved one is dying? Uh, Where is the God of love when the tsunami or the earthquake or the famine hits and literally tens of thousands are killed? Where is the God of love when cancer strikes so randomly? And people ask the question, why me, God? Why now? Uh, Where was the God of love when Pol Pot was wreaking havoc with his genocide in Cambodia? And the effects are still felt today. Where is the God of love today in Syria as ISIS is on a campaign of evil destruction there. You see, when you consider uh, these realities, you naturally ask the question, actually, is there a God who loves? Because it doesn't seem like it in the world I live in. And then you get the second reality in terms of a challenge to understanding biblical love. And it's our modern culture's understanding of love. It's very different to the Bible's view. And to think about this, I want to quote some of the things I have heard people say in the past when relationships, and in particular when marriages, have broken up. Now, it's worth saying in making these comments, I'm not reflecting on marriages here in the parish that I've heard about and that I seek to encourage and work with. These are just things I've heard in other places, though I suspect uh, the sentiments are as real here in Manly as they are anywhere in Australia. Uh, why, has you, why have you broken up? Because my spouse doesn't meet my needs anymore. Uh, why have you broken up? Because I've stopped loving them. Uh, why have you broken up? Well, they didn't love me enough. They didn't look after me properly. Uh, why have you broken up? Well, I don't feel anything for my spouse anymore. The flame just died and we grew apart. And you see, that sentiment is not uncommon. I'm sure you've heard people say similar things. And you've got to ask the question... What is love when that's the reality expressed? I think it's a number of things. Firstly, uh, love is conditional in our world that we live in. And secondly, it's based on how we feel and how people respond to us. And that's the great dilemma, if I can say, in terms of trying to encourage people in their marriages... Uh, People want to exit and hit the eject button when it gets tough, uh, when the feelings die, and when their partner is not loving them the way they would like them to. And I want to say that is profoundly different to what you see in terms of biblical love and the reflection that God is love and we are to love in the way he's loved us. And so let's have a think about biblical love and the biblical concept of love. And the passage we've got today is 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Uh, it's an incredible passage and a very rich description of love. In fact, it goes on for a number of pages um, in terms of chapter 3, also reflects a lot about love. And at the very centre of it is the very simple and profound statement I began with, God is love. And the incredible thing about this passage is this, it says, if you want to understand the love of God, you've got to look at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because there you start to understand what God's love is about and the biblical revelation about God's love is centered primarily in the cross. You see, to understand the love of God, you need to understand it in the light of who God is, in the light of his justice, 
He's not a God who can overlook sin and evil. Uh, You need to understand his love in the light of his holiness, that he is so different to us and pure. Uh, We need to understand it in light of his righteousness, that he calls for us to live right lives. And we need to understand it in terms of his mercy. And all of those come together at the cross. You see, if you want to ask the question, is God in control? Does evil matter to him? Will he bring justice to the world? Will sin be punished? Is there a God in this world who will deal with all those things and bring love to bear? Well, the answer is yes, and you see it at the cross. And I've got up on the screen two of the key verses there. They're really at the center of this passage. And I think at the center of our understanding about God is love. Have a look, verse 9. This is how God showed his love amongst us. In other words, if you want to see love and God's love in action, have a look here. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, the big idea is this. You see real love when you see Jesus dying on the cross. And there's two words there, atoning sacrifice. In the original language, it's actually just one word. And it's a word, atonement, that literally means to turn someone's anger away. It's to turn wrath away. And you see, the cross is the place where mercy and justice collide together. At the cross, God's expression and desire for justice to be born is actually satisfied. You see, at the cross, every sin of the world was placed there on Jesus' shoulders. At the cross, God's righteous anger was placed on Jesus' shoulders for the sin of the world. Paul says these words, God who made, no, made him who had no sin to be sin for us. It is why Jesus, as he hung on the cross, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you see, at the cross, justice was made as sin was punished. At the cross, evil was defeated as death was overcome. At the cross, sin was punished. And the incredible thing, and this is his love, he does this so that he can bring mercy to the world and account for evil and account for sin and bring justice. You see, mercy came at the cross. Jesus didn't just die for sin, he died for our sin. He died for your sin. He became sin for us. The Apostle Peter says, the one who was righteous died for the unrighteous in order to bring us to God. And you see, this is love. It is just. It is strong. It reflects God's holiness and demand for righteousness and justice. And it's filled with mercy. You see, this is a love that is very different to our love. And the world's love. And if I was to describe 
the love of God when I look at the cross and I see the Saviour dying in our place. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway because of his love. This is how I would describe God's love as I reflect on the cross. God's love is patient. You see, God didn't give up on us. It's the incredible thing. It's the incredible truth. His love never runs out. The cross proclaims that even when we were far away, God came looking for us and he pursued us. And if you want to ask the question, does God understand suffering? Well, in the most profound way he understands suffering, he sent his world into this world of suffering and he suffered on our behalf. God's love is incredibly patient that bore suffering and gave his son to die in our place. The wonderful thing about God's love is it's forgiving. You see, at the cross, even the worst of sins was paid for. The worst of sinners was forgiven. It's why the Apostle Paul can say, um, I want to tell you something, I am the worst of sinners. Uh, he'd been involved in murder, treachery, lying, or, or he broke all the commandments. And he said, in God's grace, he accepted me. And it's why he will say to us through his letters, for me to live is Christ. Um, I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And it's all because, you see, God's love was a forgiving love and is a forgiving love. It does not matter how badly we've sinned. At the cross, we find forgiveness and mercy and acceptance. The third thing is God's love is unconditional. It's not based on our performance, which I think is so much of the love we see expressed today. He loved us, as I said, when we were far, far away. Uh, it was not conditional on us living a good life. We weren't. It's unconditional. It comes with no strings attached. And lastly, it's a tough love. Uh, it's according to truth. It isn't based on a warm, sugary sentimentalism, but rather in the harsh realities of life. There is a toughness about it. He perseveres with us when we're wayward and continues to work grace in our life to bring us back. He will allow us to go through tough times. And the Bible says, as a loving father, he will discipline his children. There is a toughness about it. But it's not retribution. It's about restoring us and growing us and molding us to become like his son. And you see, when you look at the cross, you see a revelation of love against the backdrop of his justice and his holiness and his wrath and his mercy that is patient, a love that's forgiving, a love that's unconditional and a love that is tough. And so unlike the love of this world that is conditional and based on how we feel and how people respond to us, it is none of that. And I think it's until you understand this love and experience this love, and that's what this passage says. 
Uh, you have a look at verse 16. He says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. You see, we trust in it. We know it. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And only when you understand this biblical revelation of God's love that you find in the cross in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think can you make sense and actually live out the most profound commands to love that you see in Scripture from the words of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Have a look at this. Uh, This, I think, is one of the most profound things Jesus ever said. Love your enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 But I tell you who hear me, in other words, you who want to be my followers, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. You see, this only makes sense when you understand the cross. It makes no sense in our current culture. Uh, We'll love people who love us. We'll love people who are like us. We won't love our enemies. That's not what our world says. The world says love your friends. The world says love those who treat you well. Paul says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you see, until you get that, you won't actually get what he's saying. He's saying you must embody the gospel. You must be like your heavenly father who came... And loved his enemies. And only when you understand God's love and experience that in your life will this make sense. Which is why Jesus says in John chapter 13, we're actually to be known by love. And I think it's um, very striking. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give you love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Three times he says, love one another. And when you read it, it's worth asking the question, why is this the one thing that Jesus says is to be the external mark of being followers of me and members of God's people? You see, it is a definitive mark that is, if I can say, to mark us out in the world. And my reflection is this. I think it's the definitive mark of Christian faith because, you see, love demonstrates that you understand the gospel. Love demonstrates that you understand the gospel. When you start loving everyone, you demonstrate that you have actually understood the gospel and experienced the love of God in your own life. You see, Christian love is an uncommon love. The love of Jesus is an uncommon love. It's not based on how attractive people are. It's not based on what they can do for us. It's not based on whether they're from my tribe or your tribe or another tribe. It's not based on the colour of our skin. It's not based even if we like them. You see, we are to love with our prejudice or favour, with no thought of what we'd get in return, even our enemies. And you see, when we do that, we're demonstrating the reality of the gospel of grace in the most tangible and remarkable of ways. And that's why I say to anyone who'll listen to me who wants to understand the vision of the church, we are to be based on three things, truth, grace, and love. And I want people, when they connect with St. Matthew's people, to feel an uncommon love. 
that they would experience from us. This love that is foreign in the world but is encapsulated in the gospel. And I want them to see how the grace of God has transformed us to be like that. And to hear the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to stop now and just get us to reflect on what would that mean for us as a church here at St. Matthew's. If we were to be a church of love. And so I thought no better person to do that than to ask up our minister of love. Well you might say that. Uh, He's also called the Silver Fox on staff. His name is Max Boyce and he's our pastoral care minister. And I thought I might get Max up to share about love and pastoral care and life here at St. Matthew's. Can I get you to welcome Max up? We're both going a bit grey is the reality, Max, anyway. Um, Firstly, just any initial reflections um, from sitting here on what comes to mind uh, in terms of God is love? I think think, uh, what you said, uh, Bruce, uh, in many ways says it all. Um, I think that when we can really, in in our hearts, know that that that's God's heart, it's a heart of love, and really come to terms with that in our own being, uh, that things happen from there. I think we could do no better, actually, than all of us to go away today and think carefully about that passage of Scripture and plummet its depths and ask ourselves how true that is uh, for each one of us and ask ourselves the question, how, how can I live that out? Um, and pray for each other. There's a prayer of Paul uh, where he says that he wants us... Uh, Bringing, the, bringing his prayer into the present, to know the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of God's love. Now, I don't think any of us know that. Uh, it, it's, it's immeasurable, and we'll just be doing that for the rest of our lives. But the important thing is, is that we do, we do pray that for each other, and we plummet depths. And I think that as we do that, and as we understand, as we hear God's word uh, preached, as we reflect on the prayers that have been prayed as we rejoice and lift up our hearts uh, in, when, when we sing in gratitude to our hearts to God is the way the scriptures talk about it and as we genuinely care for each other that there is that sense of uh, genuine care that we, that we really do honour each other, that we really do um, have respect for each other what the scripture says is when all those things are active in a congregation, thinking just on a Sunday at the moment, when those things are active and people come into the congregation, they'll say, God is here. And I understand from one of our members uh, just this morning after 8 o'clock that somebody came to the prayer meeting the other morning and just said, I don't, I don't, you guys have a conversation there with God and he's real to you. It's not the same for me. And that's the reality, isn't it? I mean, that's the way I came to Christ. I'm sure it's the way many of us have come to Christ, where we've said, I I want what what you guys have got. And um, it's as we plumb the depths, as we keep on coming back to the cross, and and we sense that ourselves, other people will sense it. And I think we, 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 we need to come to church uh, with purpose. 
we actually saw a, a notice board yesterday which said, um, God has given us two hands, one for receiving and one for giving. Ray said, I've got a crook hand, what does that mean? Which I'm not receiving or not giving. Anyway, that was supposed to be a little bit funny. Um, but <laughs> but the, um, uh, the point that I'm making is that we come to church and uh, we receive, and we've received this morning, uh, and, and the other hand is forgiving. And so we're there to serve each other, to care for each other as family, as, as you mentioned, Bruce, earlier on in this series. And can I just take a moment to say this, that uh, in, in regard to that, that this series has been a great series in terms of really helping us reflect pastorally and uh, to really come to terms with, with, with a number of things pastorally. And um, I think we, we want to say thank you uh, to Bruce and, and the preaching staff for what they've shared with us and what they've taught us. And, and I want to say thank you this morning to all of those who, who are engaged in pastoral care at whatever level, in, at whatever age group, whatever it is. But just to say thank you so much for engaging in pastoral care. Which leads me to my second question. Uh, pastoral care really is, I guess, where the ministry of love kind of, the rubber hits the road. Um, thoughts on that in terms of responding to the sermon, God is love and us being a pastorally caring church? Yeah. I think um, those words rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep particularly come to mind. In other words, uh, pastoral care is as well as caring for those of us who might be going through a rough time, uh, that it's important for us to rejoice with those who have things to rejoice about. And I think we, we, we do that here at St Matthew's. Uh, we are a rejoicing church and we are uh, a church that can weep with others when they weep. Um, I think that when we pastorally care for each other, this place ought to be a place of healing a place where it's possible to, to have our spirits revived and refreshed and renewed and restored. All of those things are happening uh, as we care for each other pastorally, as we reach out to each other. And one of the great things this morning, I think, is, is hearing from you, Gerald, is that our pastoral care then can extend beyond that. And here we are sort of rejoicing today, really, in being able to share in what we've, what we've heard from you uh, Gerald, and, and to say, wow, we're part of that. We're part of that. And that's just wonderful to be able to love in that way, even though we're here and, and they're there. But what a wonderful thing to see those young feet restored uh, through the ministry here of St Matthews. I'd want to encourage us to value each other. Um, it's just as valuable to be cared for by one another as it is by a, a member of staff. It's important that we recognise that, um, that we can have a ministry to each other in both word and deed and uh, just to really be confident. And I think it, it, that's one thing, that if we, if we grow in our confidence in the love of Christ and grow in our confidence to share that with each other, Okay, now, one question, and I think one of the definitive marks of the gospel is uh, when we were far away from God, he brought us in. And we're to reflect that in being hospitable, which means being a friend to strangers. Mm, mm. And there's no doubt St Matthew's has a special place 
geographically here and many strangers come in the door, yeah. uh, probably more than most churches. Mm. Um, how do you see this out working? And I think particularly uh, people can sometimes feel tired mm. uh, because so many people come and with such varied needs. Mm. Mm. Thoughts? Yeah. Thanks for welcoming us this morning with that song, Bruce. That was really good. Um, but, I mean, I think there is a culture, isn't there, here? I think we're all aware, those of us who are regularly here Sunday by Sunday, know there is a, there is a culture here of welcoming, and that is great. But I, I also hear what, what Bruce has said there, that we recognise that we get tired and we come to church and we, um, we haven't seen friends for a while and we, we reach out to our friends... And I think we need to explore this together and to work out how we, how we continue because we're, we're on the Corso here. This is, God has a special purpose for St Matthews being right here on the Corso. We know we, we have people walking in and if you've walked in this morning, welcome. We're, from, from me, welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, what the scripture tells us is not to differentiate in our welcoming. We might see a, a rich person or a poor person and we're not to differentiate whoever we are we're welcome at St Matthews that's the that's the culture we want to have and I think that we need to work out uh, what that means for each one of us and talk about it and work out how can we we be refreshed so that we can then continue to reach out uh, uh, to each other uh, to the person who might come in and I want to suggest that we, we know there are people among us who have a particular gift of welcoming and there are those among us who are a bit shy or whatever. But what we can do in, in, our, in our various groups that we tend to gather in, which is absolutely natural, and it's absolutely, absolutely um, common that we would have this problem in a church that's growing and multiplying, uh, and it's a good problem to have, but we need to explore it and to work out how we can continue to welcome. But what we can have is permission to introduce somebody new into our group, and that we can then widen our group and broaden our group to include that person or persons or family, whatever it might be. But we need permission from each other. We need to care for each other to that point that this is okay. They're welcome here. It's okay for them to come in and it's okay for them to come near. And that's the message that we we need to be uh, giving for each other to to move out of that comfort zone. Okay, last question. You've been practical already at one level, but any other practical tips? Because the scripture is very clear. Don't just love with words, yeah. but in action. Yeah. It's been a great joy for me here at St Matthew's to be able to draw in people where there's been a particular thing happening where several different skill needs are, 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 come, can come together and resolve something for somebody. Um, and just to... Um, recognise that, you know, I could sit there or somebody else could sit there and, and be loving and kind and generous. But when somebody actually hears a practical word of advice from an area where they can be so helpful, uh, that person is an enormously relieved um, in that regard. So I think that if we have skills, we can use them uh, for each other. And, of course, particular practical skills are things like gardening and, and uh, maybe painting a house or or building something, and, and just the other day, someone said to us, because we're about to have an influx of family with us for some time, um, they said, is there anything heavy that you need lifted? And my immediate reaction was, no, no, uh, there's not. And then I thought, oh, there is. 
and uh, it was wonderful then just to have that simple, uh, practical help of love where, where we were helped in that way. Um, I think that um, if you remember what Jesus said when that woman poured oil on his head, he said, she did what she could and she did it unto me. And if you're here at the anniversary service, uh, while Edward said, if you know that there's a need, get out there and do something about it. And that sense of recognising the possibilities. And if you can't resolve someone's particular situation, then share it with friends, share it with staff, whatever, and uh, maybe we can um, move out from there. I think that's it. As in, our time's up. <laughs> anyway, can I get you to thank Max for coming? Let me just stop and say, uh, I'd like us just to be quiet and pray. Um, we're called to love with an uncommon love. And it does need to be practical. Uh, it needs to be real. And it is to be the marker of who we are. Because you see, as we love, in the most tangible and practical way, we're demonstrating the reality of the gospel of grace to those who come. And friends, that's what we're about, is helping people know the great reality of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for them and not just for us, so that they too might live. So let us just pray quietly that God might fill our hearts with his love. And then I'm going to finish by praying through for us that prayer that Max brought to us from Ephesians chapter 3. So let's be quiet for a minute and pray, and then I'll finish with a prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this seven-week journey we've been on. And Lord, I pray for all of us that as we read your word, we would take it at face value and believe it. And not just believe it, but actually begin to put it into practice in our lives. That we would have a death-to-life experience and live for the Lord Jesus. Father, that we would look around and realise that we are family and care for each other. Father, that we would know that you've gifted us to serve and that we would use our gifts here and abroad in service of the gospel and in service of people. Father, that we would know that everything we have is from you and we're to be generous stewards of it and that we would live that out in our daily life. Father, that we would have a conviction about the gospel that Jesus is the only way, the only name that has been given by which men and women may be saved. And so have a gospel heart and a missional outlook on life. Father, we would take your word and believe it and pray it. And lastly, I pray that we would know your love in our lives, that you'd fill our hearts 
And so I pray that out of your glorious riches, Father, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner beings so that the Lord Jesus Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge and be filled to the measure of all your fullness, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. And the people said, Amen. Well, friends, we're going to finish with a song. It's the collection song for the work of ministry. If you are a new person or regular and you've got a care card, connect card filled in, please do place it in the basket as it comes around. Or if you've got a commitment card, just also put that in.